Hello and welcome to the third season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose, in which we talk to some very special people about food, what it means to them, and the role it has played in their life. We ask about food memories and favorite recipes, must-have ingredients, and the dishes that represent comfort, celebration, or adventure, and find out a lot more about our guests in the process. Alison, hello. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. We're back. We are back for the third season, and... It seems like we are celebrating because you have been incredibly sneaky, but in the best possible way, and sent me some mystery packages. Ah, it's arrived, has it? That's good. Yes, yeah, they did. I thought it was going to be a lemon drizzle, obviously, but it was not. And, you know, only mildly disappointed that it wasn't. Well, it's summer. You've got to have ice cream. So you've got some vanilla ice cream, some good organic vanilla ice cream there to try. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, didn't. It didn't make a whole lot of sense initially why you sent me that with something else. So please explain like what we're gonna be what we're gonna be doing and what I'm gonna be tasting. Well, I'm gonna get you to try some of this vanilla ice cream. We're not gonna cover it with sugar sprinkles or chocolate or syrup. You should have a bottle of 100% Italian olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. Yes, I have. Wow, it looks incredible. Just gonna open that up. Very satisfying to uh, open up a fresh bottle. So first off, we're going to try it. Pouring oil onto a spoon. That's really, really good. It's fruity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a real sort of um, late blooming kick of uh, of pepper at the end. And it's it's got like a really lovely lingering mellowness to it. Like it's got real complexity. Like that is really, really good. That's amazing. Um, So I can probably see where this is going. So we're going to drizzle this. So you could drizzle this over salads or a tomato salad and have it to finish dishes. Yeah, of course. We're just going to put a tiny trickle over the ice cream. Okay, let me just scoop some out. Must confess that there's a little bit that's disappeared over the. Uh, Not surprised (laughs) since it arrived. There's a few scraps left. Okay, so a little drizzle over. There we go. It's it's oh, it's really lovely. It looks fantastic with the um the very pale, not kind of you know the kind of. uh, nostalgic yellow ice cream mm. with like the lovely little golden speckled splodges in there it looks well, great mine's just pulled around the outside it just mm. looks beautiful and if you yeah. taste it with the ice cream okay. I, I should say that i've had this in a restaurant before um i think it was rapeseed oil yeah with an ice cream sundae thought it was very nice but i would never think to do it at home i think it's just one of those strange things so um but anyway here we go it really works i mean i've done recipes with olive oil in in the ice cream once you've made it but this is a good store cupboard dessert. <laughs> it's really good. It's really, really good. Oh my god! It just works so brilliantly. It's it's kind of the the olive oil isn't overpowering, but it gives mm. it this new kind of dimension, and you get that little bit of contrasting pepper with the yeah. creaminess of the ice cream. It's really, really nice, and um, it feels yeah, it feels kind of feels kind of nicely grown up yeah. it's kind of like you take something that could be a little bit childish and and you kind of give it that new little layer adult of sophistication twist. yeah exactly yeah that pepperiness comes from the italian the you know the fact that it's 100 percent italian it's not blended it's all grown on the slopes of italy so we know where it's mm. come from yeah and, that, and that's what that's what gives it that lovely peppery kind of backbite Anyway, we could carry on talking about ice cream and I could talk about olive oil forever. Do you think we should uh, get on with our guests? 
I think we probably should. And uh, although ice cream probably isn't the thing that you'd think of first with him, uh, with regard to his health and fitness, um, he's a man that is all about balance and all about enjoying yourself as well. So it's kind of fitting. Our guest on this episode is the amazing Joe Wicks. Now, it was incredibly exciting to to have a conversation with him. I think I gushed to him about just what it meant, like the P with Joe sessions that he ran throughout this past year of the pandemic and various lockdowns. Like it was huge in my family. It was the kind of, um, it was the alarm clock to our days. And it was huge for like my wife and her sisters and her mum. It was the way they kind of connected and they always did Joe Wicks and it, it was amazing. But just talking to him, he had good days and it was great to hear what it was like on those tough days too. And he, yeah. he didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah, and, and you know, he, he sort of gave us a real insight as mm. well into juggling things. You know, a big part of that honesty is, is you know, what it's like to be a parent to like two very small kids. His children and his family are a big part of his new book, which we also talk about the creation of that and why it's such a passion project for him. He touched on the uh, tough times he had growing up mm. and he's, he's so honest about the difficulties and challenges of, of his upbringing and how that feeds into his ethos and his philosophy and the ways in which he wants to educate people about food and and make mealtimes a really sacred family event. So here we go then. Here is our Life on a Plate conversation with Joe Wicks. Joe Wicks, thank you so much for joining us. It, it feels weird because you feel like you've kind of been part of all our families for part of like a year like certainly part of mine with PE with Joe it feels like oh yeah oh it's, it's our mate Joe but like obviously um this is the first time we're meeting oh thank you so much mate. it's lovely to hear and I think yeah I really you know enjoyed that moment it was a tough time but I I love that I was there to connect and inspire people to get moving and you know I've always been on that mission to get people moving and cooking it's it's what I love because I know how happy you can feel after you know, a healthy recipe or a good workout. And you're here, you've got a book that feels completely in step with everything you've been doing over the past year. And it's called Joe's Family Food. And it feels like such a natural progression. Was this always a book that you were building towards and wanted to wanted to do? Yeah, it's a progression of, of my life. It's like, it's like, so I'm here now with, with two kids. I'm a parent and I, yeah. I really, I really cherish mealtimes. I really, I really value that moment of like sitting down together and you know, learning to cook together and having fun in the kitchen, but also, you know, connecting through food. I think nowadays it's so easy to, you know, whack something in the mic or the oven for the kids and they eat on their own and parents eat afterwards and it's all kind of, you know, yeah, a bit mad. And yeah. I, I really, no matter how busy and chaotic my life gets, I always make time to to put my phone down and be present and have dinner together as a family. I think it's really important. I didn't, And I didn't really have that as a kid. I didn't have that. It was a bit more chaotic. We were eating at random times and eating in you know my bedroom and stuff and yeah, now yeah. I, I now as a as a parent I I see how much my kids learn through you know a sort of cooking and learning ingredients and stirring and making porridges and things and then also sitting down and having having a chat like how's your day going I think yeah, I think it's so yeah. important yeah so this book I I really talk about that the importance of um connecting through food and enjoying that moment together and I imagine even more so with you in terms of putting your phone down and disengaging from that. It must be so difficult when that is your professional life as well. Is it something that you've had to learn 
over the years to, to yeah to get definitely at. I mean look I'm so I'm so connected with my audience still I could be on my phone all day long and never look up and still yeah, not reply yeah. to everybody yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a never-ending inbox you say that Alison was pointing out that um that, oh, I don't know if I've seen that room in his house. When like, <laughs> you must get yeah, this I mean, all the time, much, where people you pretty much know because every every time I film, I, I move the camera to a different room. So yeah, I have filmed in here before, but um, I think between the hours of say five and seven thirty p.m., I I constantly make the effort to leave my phone in another room so that I can have dinner time. You know, do the cooking and and be present. I actually think that it is the best time to sit down. And, you know, how's your day been, Rosie? How how? And I yeah, even say to yeah. Indy. Indy, what are you grateful for today? And she'd be like, you know, I'm grateful for my peas or I'm grateful for Marley's cuddles. Reminds us, how how old's Indy? So Indy's two and a half and Marley's one Mm. and a half. And do you get Marley to help cook as well? Yeah, I mean, we've we've started him really young and he's always dipping his fingers in. I mean, he's obsessed with like things like peanut butter and, you know, ketchup and jams and dippy sauces. So he'll he'll um, he'll always have his finger in something. But Indy's probably more, more involved. She's a little bit older and... So we, we, you know, we might, we might make a recipe for one of my books and, yeah. you know, yeah, I'll say, right, do you want to do that step? And she, she peels the garlic for me and, you know, she'll use the, the garlic crush and things. So yeah, I, I really, I really love that. I think a lot of her learning, when I think about some of the words and vocabulary she's picked up, you know, from, from the early stages of her talking, it was like porridge, berries, butter. Like she was learning words. Really? So I was constantly pointing things out and yeah. yeah, you know, she was stirring in the oats. She was adding the peanut butter and the berries on top of her thing. So yeah, I love that. And even when she she's learning that's crack an egg and I let her do it, but she makes so much mess. It goes everywhere. <laughs> but that's a brilliant thing because actually that's how they learn by making mess and not being told off for it. Yeah. And I want her to feel like that. And I, you know, when she, when she knocks something on the floor, I say, oh, don't worry, darling, we can clean it up. And she looks up at me. She sort of thinks, is he going to be mad at me? But I always mm-hmm. try and in that moment, just let, let her say, look, it's mess. We're having fun. It's like when you're painting, you know, it gets everywhere. But I really see the educational side of like cooking together. And I, I think that she like just like she sees me exercising she sees me and rosie exercising all the yeah. time so yeah. it's become it's normal like she comes upstairs and she hangs on the bar she can hang for 30 <laughs> seconds on a bar so she's being inspired in a sense as a fitness kind of element in life but also through cooking she knows that when we you know we come together we cook we enjoy food and I think that's so important for kids to learn that and be around, yeah. be exposed to that. So tell us, on a midweek, who does the cooking? Is it you or your wife, Rosie? I'd say now it's probably 50-50. I think, yeah, we come up with different ideas. Um, we, you know, we might follow other, other Instagrammers who share good recipes or, you know, we've got a lot of cookbooks ourselves. I always get lovely cookbooks sent to me, which is a nice bonus. So I, I tend to test out recipes from other people's books and friends of mine that release books. Um, so, yeah, I'd say 50-50. And um, we sometimes cook together. Um, but if it's a bit chaotic and the kids are starving hungry, like I'll take the kids in the garden for 20 minutes while Rosie's cooking and vice versa, because there's nothing worse than trying to cook when you've got two screaming babies literally pulling on your ankles uh, trying to get the food. From your new book, is there a recipe that is your standout favourite? I'm going to have a little look through and remind myself, because you know what, I've, I've, I've been making recipes from this book now, but you know, when you write a book, it's like months ago. It's, oh, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's like last year. One. But I really like the... Um, I really like the kind of tray bake things, you know, where you just throw it all in the pan. So this oh, is a really lovely mm. recipe. It's um, it's cod, bean, tomato, and rosemary parcel. So you can like boil the, you know, like sort of oh, bake fantastic. it in the in the foil in a parcel. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the kids yeah. love this. So the, the kids really enjoy fish. So that's something that we stick. He's got the vegetables in there, and it, yeah, it's like quick. It's, it's I mean, it's ready. You're prepping it in ten minutes, and it cooks in fifteen. So perfect for two adults and two small kids. It's fair to say that you've always been quite open and upfront about the fact that you're not in fact, a trained chef, but you're a cooking enthusiast who is open to learning. 
because it goes hand in hand with fitness and leading a healthy lifestyle. But tell us about your cooking journey from first starting out to where you are now being such a best-selling author of multiple cookbooks. Well, I think one of the reasons I've been successful is because it is people have come on a journey with me. They've they've watched me from the start, you know, mm. sharing sharing recipes, learning to cook, you know, and really taking people on a journey like into cooking because I, I actually feel quite like a confident cook now. But when I started, you know, I had no idea. All I could really make was a really basic stir fry and I could cook a bit of chicken. But I think the more the more I pushed myself on Instagram, because I was obsessed with sharing recipes, you know, this is long long before I had a book deal with Pam Millen, long before anyone, I, I'd even thought about that. It wasn't even something I was thinking about. Because in, in the early days of Instagram, it was a 15 second video. So all you could post was 15 seconds. So that the hashtag... The hashtag lean in 15, it meant 15 second video and a 15 minute meal, a meal you could do in 15 minutes. So that was the, that was the idea that I had. Wow. So it was literally shaped by those limitations, by that platform, basically. Like your 100%. Entire, and yeah. I think, I, you know, it was the right time. There was other people doing Instagram recipe videos, but I brought a little bit of energy to it. I was you know, obviously mm. throwing the rice in the mic and, you know, <laughs> all the craziness that came with those videos. And I think I really... I really pushed myself like one week I'd be like, right, I want to do a, I want to make a phyllo pastry pie. Or I want to make a risotto. And I kept challenging myself. And so as I learned, I started to share these recipes and my greatest gift to the world is not that I'm, you know, an incredible chef and I'm, and I'm creating like what recipes that are going to blow you, blow you, blow you away. It's really about food that's accessible and easy to do. And you can all have a go at it and, and you are going to come out of it with a wonderful taste. It's going to taste great and that the kids are going to eat. And so yeah, I think that is the reason. I've sold nearly over three and a half million books, which is wow. mind-boggling, wow. right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. really without, it's incredible. That's really without, you know, TV. Yeah. It's not without, you know, I didn't do cooking shows, but it's just people that genuinely loved um, the recipes because they were just simple. Yeah, yeah. Who were you looking to for inspiration to learn to cook? Well, without a doubt, you know, the first person I ever really would tune into and watch any kind of cooking was was Jamie Oliver. You know, I was at school, I was a teenager when Jamie Oliver started um, The Naked Chef and just remember always, I, and I wasn't cooking at the time, but I just love the way he talks about food and I love, I, I just love watching those shows. But I never really started cooking until I got in probably to university when I mm-hmm. had to sort of fend for myself and start cooking. And yeah, I would just really just, I was following other Instagram accounts, I, you know, for like quirky, you know, you see these sort of quirky ideas around like baked eggs and different kind of novelty things. And I'd go, oh, that's good. I'll make it on my Instagram. I was just inspired, just constantly wanted to try something different because I was sharing a recipe every day. So it's like every day of the week, wow. I wanted to share something new. You mentioned meal times when you're at home mm. and like your home life and stuff. And you've been very open about the challenges that you faced growing up. What was it like? What were, what were your kind of early memories of, of food in particular and just family life in general? So, yeah, I'm quite open about my past. You know, my I, I come from a, you know, a family of addiction. So my dad was struggling with drug addiction from a young age. So he wasn't always there, you know, he was in and out of rehab. And I suppose my mum was doing the majority of the cooking and she left home at 15. She she left school at 15. She left home. So she she didn't have the knowledge and the skill set around cooking. And also it wasn't in the 80s, like nutrition and child's nutrition, it wasn't a big thing. We didn't really, you know, I was drinking like Ribena in a bottle. And I remember my brother <laughs> yeah. Nicky had eight teeth, eight of his teeth got removed because they went black. So it it was really a lack of education back then. And Really, yeah. my mum, and also just financially, like you know, she was on benefits. We didn't, yeah. we couldn't afford good food, so it was always, um, you know, frozen dinners. It was, you know, she would make pasta and just have like, you know, like a tomato sauce on it. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't like 
she just didn't know how to cook. So for me, I didn't have a great, you know, I didn't have a great diet growing up. Lots of mm. sunny delight, you know, wagon wheels. It was crisp. <laughs> we'd have, she would, we'd get home from school and it would be like, do you want to have a picnic? And it would just be like sandwiches on white bread. We remember the teddy bear ham and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, so okay, it was a case of the financial situation with, but also that that kind of food, the cheapest kind of food, is just what what we could afford. And she didn't have the education around cooking. And it was just really fuel rather than nutrition. Yeah, it was just food just to keep you full up. And I loved all that food because I was a fussy eater, so I, I did enjoy the food. And I was never an overweight child, but I think because I was so active, you know, you I was were playing football. It all up. Oh yeah, I was running. I was I was so hyperactive, but it, no doubt it affected my behavior my attention span you know and I would never give those foods like in that quantity to my kids now because I know how much it would affect them but I honestly in 1985 1990 I just don't think people knew the effect of nutrition on, on our bodies as much you know and you wanted to be a PE teacher when you were younger didn't you which seems kind of perfect considering what's happened the last year and you kind of becoming the nation's PE teacher PE with Joe was in the works for quite a while, wasn't it? It was something that you had been building towards for a while, right? Yeah, it looks like I had this amazing idea overnight and I just launched it and it blew up. But I really had been working on this for kind of four or five years, you know, visiting schools. I've done a couple of UK tours and I really got a sense of what young children uh, like to do, how how you can engage them in exercise. So I was all over the place, Ireland, Wales, Scotland. I went everywhere visiting schools and my aim was to kind of do a similar thing to Jamie Oliver's school dinners. I was trying to get a TV show. I was trying to get support, but you know, that, that no, no one had the budget and they just didn't have the time for it at the, at the, at the moment in time. Um, mm. And then when I launched PE with Joe, obviously I had built so much trust around working out with kids and always being positive and sharing good content. And people knew, parents and teachers knew that when I went live on 9am that morning, that I was going to deliver a safe, fun, friendly workout. I wasn't going to swear. And I think that, that was because I built that, that community and brand trust over so many years. Um, so every newsletter in the UK, every school newsletter, every Twitter account, every you know, media outlets helped me promote that and helped me share those workouts. And, and that's the reason it got so many views. And I think, yeah, that was something that I, I truly believed that I was going to achieve that. I just thought it was going to take me 10 years. I truly thought I'll do a, <laughs> yeah. I'll do a Jamie Oliver t- style campaign. I might do some kind of government initiatives, but then PE with Joe happened and it was like, my whole dream came true. It manifested in like such a short time. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny that you say, because I still work at the Evening Standard and I remember being in the office when you were interviewed in like 2015, 2016 maybe. And you said in the interview that you wanted to get an OBE. You had this plan that you would kind of, you know, change the way the nation looked at exercise. And I think, you know, at that time, people might have thought, oh, what's he talking about? And then you know, five years later, you've got an MBE and you've, you've literally accomplished that. So, um, yeah, any predictions you make in this conversation, I think people need to take them seriously. Oh, thank you. It's, it's a mad journey. I, I do stop sometimes and think like of the things I imagined happening and the things I dreamed of. I do believe in that manifestation thing where if you work towards something and you're truly passionate, you know, people can sniff out a rat on social media. They can see if you're genuine or not. And I, I've just always been from day one the same person. Like I just love helping people I, I truly am inspired by people getting healthier and happier and for me like I work so hard still even this year gone like I've never worked so hard I've I've, mm. I've obviously done the P with Joe I, I launched an app I launched a podcast I've mm. I've been doing filming with Hey Dougie and like children's TV and I'm 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 loving it yeah what were, what were the more challenging moments of the P with Joe because obviously 
with each successive lockdown, you kind of brought it back. And you, you know, you posted a very honest, um, emotional video in like January at the time of the third lockdown kind mm-hmm. of being imminent or announced. And you were kind of very honest about how you were feeling and how low you were. Um, what were the, what were the challenges? Well, it was ups and downs, wasn't it really for me and for everybody. I, I had weeks where I was like fine. And then I had weeks where I felt really down. I missed my family, but ultimately I think the work and the workouts and just the kind of social media and just busy, how busy I was, it distracted me a little bit, you know, cause I was just working so hard. I was doing so many videos. And I, I think because of that, it helped me, it helped me get through the lockdown. I was happier. Every time I worked out, I felt good at the end of it and I felt focused and I had something, I had some, I had purpose and I had um, structure to my day. But yeah, that, that video you're talking about, I did an Instagram live. It was when like Boris announced another lockdown and I had this sense of like, we're going backwards and, you know, I had my daughter on my lap and I was thinking like, I'm in this nice warm house and we just had a lovely dinner. And I, but I imagined myself being the, the child I was growing up in a council flat. Like we, we didn't have the heating on. We couldn't, aff- you know, we're walking around in our jackets and dressing gowns because we couldn't afford the heat and it was winter. And I had this feeling of um, emotion towards everyone struggling out there, like losing their jobs and stuff. And it really got to me and I, I shared it and I didn't plan on like crying on Instagram. I didn't plan that, but it was like a moment of vulnerability that people really connected with. And they said, wow, like this guy is the body coach. This guy's always happy, always laughing, mm. always smiling. And yet he's telling us and he's showing us that actually he's really upset and feeling a bit down. And it opened up a lot of conversation. A lot of men, a lot of men, especially messaged me saying, mm. you know, I'm feeling the same. I'm trying to be this strong dad and be really like this, you know, being, being a stable, strong man in the house, but I feel really yeah. down I'm, and I'm struggling. And I, and I, yeah, I spent a long yeah. time replying to people that week around mental health and communication because I think one thing I promote a lot of is obviously food and exercise is so important for your mental health. But the third thing, the third thing part of the whole the whole equation is is, is communication mm. and being able to yeah. talk about your feelings. Mm. And I think nowadays everyone's going through it. And I think the more we can communicate and be o- open and vulnerable, the better everyone's going to feel because you, you feel like you're not alone. Yeah. You talk about the evolution of your approach and, you know, when you started, it was kind of lean and 15 and eating healthy and physical transformation, but it's become much more for you about, you know, mental health as well, hasn't it? And, and as you say, like having that structure, getting that buzz off an exercise, it, it makes such a difference to your emotional well-being. For sure. Well, the reason is, you know, it's not been like a forced thing uh, where I'm like, oh, I better talk about mental health. But I've evolved. You know, I was all about body image. It was about, you know, looking good and having abs. But I've realized as I've got older, um, I I just want to be active and fit and healthy. So I've Mm. got more energy with the kids so that I'm more patient with the kids. All these things really affect my mood. So exercise is like the anchor to my life that I've always kept consistent. And then the more I read the transformations, like I look at the before and after, I'm like, wow you've yeah. smashed it you've done amazing but that's the visual but when you read below the actual testimonial of people that have either done my you know recipe books or my yeah. 90 day plan um when you read those that's the true i call them the non-scale victories where you you can't see them on the scales it's not saying you can see yeah. but it's yeah. people's mental health and you know their their anxiety their depression everything's mm. improving and so i really know that the, i need to talk about those things and highlight that i know i, sh- I know i share the before and afters and it feels it feels a bit contradictory, but some people just like the visual. They need to see it. it, it it's a motivator. It, it kind of yeah. inspires them to go, oh, yeah. you know, I, I feel like that. And I really wish I was a bit healthy. Look at that wonderful transformation. But I'm still always saying, look, read below, because that's what's mm. really the most important thing, isn't it? It's the things you can't see. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and you touched on it there, kind of, you know, the visual aspect of it and like the ab shots and like, you know, your heartthrob status was kind of a big part of your early rise, especially. How do you reflect on that when, you know, everyone just wanted to talk about your abs or your hair or your um, uh, very handsome, it has to be said, face? <laughs> well, I always laugh about this when I look back at some of the photo shoots because I, and I, and I wind Jamie up because Jamie Oliver got some shocking photos of him, like, you know, in the bath with the vegetables and all that. And he said, Joe, he goes, I just did everything. But looking back, I was the same. Like I'd turn up to a shoot, whether it was for the Telegraph or the Guardian or the, or the, or the Mail or whatever it was. Like, and they'd say, right, get your shirt off and hold this broccoli. If you Google me, there's like images of me hanging out of a tree, holding the broccoli, um, you know, with my shirt off. And I remember thinking it was just normal. People just would expect me to have my top off. But I think the narrative changed a bit now. Like before it was mainly, it was like fitness guy, you know, it's more now, you know, I'm a, I'm a family man. I've got a wife and kids. And I think yeah. that kind of that, that, that narrative around me, like having to get, get my top off and do that it's kind of stopped now but people people still say oh you're gonna do a top are you shoot? glad it stopped well yeah i liked i did like it when like it gave me something to focus on. if i was gonna do like a men's health cover or men's fitness they say right you got six weeks i did like having that focus goal but to sustain that level of body fat and be super lean it's not enjoyable it's not sustainable yeah you've got to be yeah. real you know no gin and tonics no desserts you know thinking about what you're eating <laughs> and i'm i just love my food so i'd rather be little bit more, you know, a little bit more squishy, not as lean, but I'm happier if, if I've got a bit more body fat because I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm enjoying the food I love when I'm yeah. not as lean because you've got to be so strict to get that, that fit, men's yeah, fitness yeah. lean. Tell us, do you remember the first dish you cooked for Rosie? The first dish I cooked for Rosie? I think the first, the first meal I put it, would have cooked for her would have been, um, it was Joe's chicken pie from my first ever Lean and 15 book. So it's like, <laughs> brilliant. it's like chicken and leek and mushroom, like, bit of a creamy sauce and then you literally just cook that and then you whack the bit of phyllo on top bit of butter you know stick it stick it under the under the in the oven for sort of 10 minutes and it comes out and she was yeah super impressed because it's it's quite nice. an easy pie to make but you know fit you know that crispy phyllo is such a wonderful taste so that would have been the first recipe and yeah i think from there she fell in love and we got married it worked <laughs> brilliant <laughs> You mentioned music there, and I know that you you play the guitar and are those the things you go to when you're feeling like you need to relax or you need a lift, you need to be energized? Like what are the things that you kind of turn to when when you're feeling kind of low or flat or or you just kind of need comfort? Oh, without doubt, food and music are two of my favorite things. And, you know, I can go from Mm. listening to like, you know, Bruce Springsteen or, you know, Dua Lipa to then listening to like, Ludovico and Audi like playing this most beautiful piano and mm. composing mm. music. I, I have Amazing. a real diverse range of music, and I also love, you know, old Tamla Motown. I love, you know, Sam Cooke and Marvin Gaye and that like, Stevie Wonder. I listen to all that stuff. So music can really make, it can really take me, take me to some, take me somewhere, and like mm. really chill me out. I also listen to, um, e- even I listen to a Spotify playlist. It's called um, Lullaby Baby Music, and it's like really calm piano lullaby music and. I, I can find that, yeah, music can really calm me and, and kind of chill me. But then, like, last night I was out um, in a restaurant and it was a Cinco de Mayo party. So, you know, we're sitting down eating this with wonderful food. My friend just opened a restaurant in London. Um, it's called Chameleon. It's beautiful. It's like Tel Avivian, like Mediterranean kind of fusion. And they had a mariachi band. So we're sitting there eating our food, like enjoying this wonderful, <laughs> like, meze. And then there's, like, a mariachi band. They've got, like... A, a live band that was singing it was like singing like it's beautiful like mexican music and it it's just lovely i think it just yeah you combine like good food and good music 
and you're having a great time. You could be anywhere. You could be in London. It, it was raining. It was freezing cold. It was raining. <laughs> but we were there. Like, having transported. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was in Mexico. So I, I do um, my favorite thing in the world, really, apart from, you know, apart from like being here and being with the kids, we, I love to travel. I love taking them somewhere new. Like mm. I've been to, I took uh, Indy and Rosie to Costa Rica for a month and we just, you know, rented the car and just drove around eating, wow. eating food and being in nature. So I do, I do love that. I, I sort of love working hard and being this guy that's really productive, but I also love doing nothing. I love yeah. going yeah. on holiday and doing nothing, just, just having breakfast, like sitting on a beach and then eating lunch and thinking what's for dinner. That, I can live that life for a couple of months quite comfortably. Yeah. Through PE with Joe, you raised a pretty phenomenal amount of money for the NHS. It was an incredible gesture, but I wonder how did you come to that decision to donate the money? Were there people around you that were maybe suggesting you keep some of it? Uh, and did you have to fight to uh, ensure that you could do that? No, I mean, look, I don't have a massive team around me. You might think that I have this big organisation, but it's just really, you know, me and my brother, Nicky, and I've got obviously some support coaches, but I really instinctively knew, like, because I've never really made much money from YouTube. It, it was kind mm. of my free content platform. You know, I obviously have a successful um, book, book, book career and I've obviously got my online yeah. fitness plan, but I really share free content. So I never really made money from YouTube revenue from the AdSense. But when I did that first live and I thought, oh my word, like 6 million views in the first 24 hours. <laughs> and I said to my brother, like, this is going to generate a lot of money. Like, let's donate this to someone. Let's think of a charity we could, we could obviously like contribute towards. And obviously at the time, the NHS were, it was a tough yeah. time for everyone in the NHS. And yeah. we thought this, this charity, it's called the NHS Charities Together Fund. It was, you know, helping people in the NHS. You give so much to others. What motivates you to keep giving? Is it the responses from your followers? for me like it's not like another book deal it's not another tv show it, that that stuff that's not really that's like extrinsic isn't it whereas yeah. mm. intrinsic motivators are things that make you feel good make you feel like you've got purpose and connection and for me i can spend the whole day reading dms and replying to people you know people that have got anxiety and depression and people that have mm. transformed their lives and i'm only getting a i'm only seeing a small percentage because a lot of people never have the confidence to actually message me mm. so yeah. i think wow if i'm if i'm doing that today you know, that is enough. That's the reason I film all the time. I'm always in the gym. I'm always outside in the garden filming workouts because I know that that content is reaching people. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit about plans for the future. One thing that I think is part of your appeal is that you do the exercises. You, you know, you're struggling for breath, you're sweating, you're doing them. You've not, as you said, you've got a small team. You've not moved off into the background. Have you thought in terms of well into the future, like, you know, do you just want to keep going until you drop in terms of doing <laughs> the exercises yourself? Well, I've only recently started to change my mindset around this, you know, yeah. from being like, I, I always thought, you know, there'll be, there'll be a day like where, I just stopped training and oh, I, I stopped sharing videos and the body coach just was a moment in time. It was a person. It was a thing. It was like this great moment in time. But I'm now like thinking and restructuring my mindset around, well, actually, like, how amazing would it be if the body coach lived on beyond me that, you know, yeah. had other trainers, you know, so now I'm starting to recruit trainers. I'm trying to find new people that can essentially carry it forward and, and, yeah. and, and be giving out amazing workouts. And because I think the body coach, it is me at the moment, but it's also a brand that you associate with like health and fitness and happiness. And so mm. I'm now trying to recruit like wonderful people that can really continue that message and that mission. And I, I had 5,000 entries. We're now down to five oh, people wow. and it's wow. really tough because wow. I've now got to choose about three of them and I, it's difficult, but I know that this is the, this is the evolution. I'm not, I'm not going to just hire them and then like, you know, disappear into the sunset. I still think yep. I'll always be the face and I'll be generating content, but maybe it'll be like 50% me, 50% other trainers so that 
I can have a bit more balance because it is exhausting. You know, I'm filming all these workouts. Yeah. We should touch quickly on your podcast. Congratulations on it. I listened to the Jamie Oliver episode and it was a fantastic conversation. I really loved it. What's the experience been like? It seems from the outside like it would be an absolute joy. It's something that I was really nervous about doing. I'm really unconfident and really like, I'm insecure when I'm doing them and stuff, but I mean, mm. I did it. I went for it. That'd be quite like, surprising for people to hear. Yeah. You don't seem like someone who lacks confidence. I think being talked being talk to and having questions asked you is quite, it's easy, but actually interviewing is a skill, like listening is a skill and knowing what mm. to ask next. So mm. basically we gave it a go and it was all through lockdown. So it was all over Zoom. So I had people like, you know, Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay and Louis Theroux, like people I love and I admire. So it was great. I wish I'd met them in person face to face and did it in a, in a studio, yeah. but that we've just done a second series and um, I actually got Tom Jones to meet, I got to meet Tom Jones in a studio in London. Wow. So oh, incredible. He, and I'm so into his, you know, his, his, his story and his music. Like he's, he's incredible. Some of the music, the musicians he's sung with in the past. So it's good. But what I'm saying is when I do it, I'm very nervous. I'm nervous and I'm like unsure of myself. But when I listen back, I'm like, that wasn't that, that wasn't too bad. It was actually quite good. And yeah. you know, people are enjoying it, but I, I don't have, I'm not a really confident interviewer, if you know what I mean. You haven't found the more interviews you've done and podcasts you've done, that confidence has grown as you've realised that, you know, what you're doing is good. A, a little bit, but it's still like, you know, I'm not a natural interviewer, so I think it's a real skill. And when I think about the people I'm about, like, I'm about to interview um, uh, Melinda Gates. And so like that's a big conversation with someone. And obviously, even more recently, she just announced yes. she's divorced. So I'm going into that thinking like, wow, like, that's intense. Like, what can I say? Yeah, what can't I yeah. say? So I get, I get myself in a bit of a fluster before. Yeah, and I was asking Tom Jones about his, his wife that passed away. And I'm like, how much do I probe him? Like, how much yeah. do I ask? And so it's just like, I'm just self-conscious, but I'm really mm. proud of the episodes. I mean, we've had some great guests and this second series coming out soon is going to be really cool. There's a question that I always ask everyone. No one escapes without me asking. I'm, so, <laughs> I'm just so nosy. Do you have an ingredient that's always in your kitchen cupboard? Is there a go-to ingredient that the Wicks always have at home? I think it's eggs. I think I've always got like six or 12 eggs in the cupboard because we can obviously make omelettes. You can make frittatas. You can make, I mean, I love, I love a classic like beans and egg on toast. I just do a couple of fried eggs, can of beans on toast. Like it's quick, it's lovely, it's warm and it's like such a sort of, it reminds me of being at school. And it's actually really nutritious as well, beans on toast with an egg. Yeah, it's brilliant. So, Joe, this is the third season of the podcast and we're introducing a quickfire question round called Kitchen Grill. Answer as quickly as possible, but feel free to explain, elaborate or justify your answers. Here we go. Mash or chips? Oh, chips all day long. Fruit or veg? I'm going to say fruit. I eat so much fruit. We go through so many <laughs> punnets of raspberries and blueberries a week. It's a joke. You wouldn't believe how much we spend on berries. Is that because you're just eating them neat or just chucking them in porridge or smoothies? In everything? porridge, in smoothies, but I'm just like a grazer. I just put my hand in there and I just grab a handful of blueberries. And I just all day, I can eat a bag of satsumas a day. I love, I really love fruits. If I'm not going to eat something like chocolate or kind of yeah. sweet, I like to have a bit of fruit, but yeah, I'm still eating loads of it. Oh, what about this one? Chocolate or crisps? Chocolate all day long. I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm really into, I love my crisps. That's a tough one, really. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have put them together. That's the really mean, but I think chocolate. <laughs> uh, fried or poached? Fried, fried eggs for me, yeah. Bit of coconut oil, bit of salt and pepper. Nice. Um, tea or coffee? Well, I don't drink coffee and I don't really drink tea, but if I was, I'd probably go for like a peppermint or a herbal tea or something. A mint infusion, nice. Bacon or smoked salmon? Bacon. I can't, you know, the one thing, I love sushi. I love raw fish. I can eat sashimi, but... 
I don't like the smoked vibe of smoked salmon. It's weird. No. I can eat salmon, like salmon fillets and tuna steak and whatnot, but I can't eat tin tuna and I can't go near smoked salmon. I don't know what it is. It's the smokiness <laughs> it does me. Bacon all the way. Uh, what about a baguette or sourdough? Oh, sourdough, big time, with a big dollop of like butter and some orange marmalade on top. Oh, yum. Butter or olive oil? Ah. Oh. I mean, I cook with olive oil a lot, but I just think for me, butter is just go. I put it in your scrambled eggs on toast. Yeah, so I like I like a good salty butter. Nice. And what no, about? I'm with you there. So I could eat slices of butter. It's so lovely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, what about porridge or or cereal? Ah, oh, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm obsessed with porridge and I love it. But the other day I went old school. My friend mentioned cocoa pops, and I haven't had cocoa pops oh. since like two the year 2000. So went round the shop, brought some Cocoa Pops and I'd done a whole box of Cocoa Pops in a weekend. <laughs> that for me is the all-time greatest cereal. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say in terms of flavour and just pure joy, Cocoa Pops, so cereal for me. You want to mainline some Cocoa Pops, okay. That's it. Thanks, Joe. That was our Kitchen Grill and thank you for being our first victim. I love that. That's a great, I like the name of it, Kitchen Grill. That's a good, good title for that. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Wicks, this has been a total joy. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time and for just for what you've done in the last year and beyond. You've kind of helped so many people, and um, it's just really great to to get a chance to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavie, and our guest, Joe Wicks. If you've enjoyed this conversation, you can find lots more like it by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about the series, go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast.